pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you again tonight, and Lord, we ask that you would give us understanding of your word. Lord, that I would have clarity to teach, and we just ask for your guidance and direction in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Again, and let's go back to 1 John chapter 3. And as I was going over the notes tonight, I was going, wow, we're, we're going to go over basically the same verses that we went over last week. And, and I do uh, wish sometimes that I could convey all of the thoughts that people think uh, about this passage, but then we would never get to the scripture if we tried to do that. Um, it is... Uh, uh, again, this is a difficult passage of Scripture, and I'm trying not to make it any more difficult than uh, it needs to be. Uh, and yet I'm telling you before we go into this passage, uh, we, we have to be very careful. We put a great stress on words. Words mean things. Words are put in order for a reason. They're here. And yet it would seem that this passage would say certain things that um, are almost contradictory. Uh, it would seem to say that uh, if we would just take verse 8, uh, by itself, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy uh, the works of the devil. It would seem that if you're a true Christian, you can never sin. But then why was First John chapter 1 put in there that says, if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. So, therefore, that passage is not talking about reaching a state of sinless perfection. And yet, it does tell us that as a Christian, we are not supposed to Sin, And so people have come up with all kinds of things. People say, well, um, you can't sin after you were saved like you sinned before you were saved. And then the next guy says, what a low standard to set for God's righteousness in a person's life. And, and I tend to agree with both statements. How about you? Uh, you shouldn't sin like you did at, uh, before you are saved, once you are saved, it should change your life. But some people were horrible sinners before they got saved. Just as long as they don't do the same things they did, is, is that good enough? Where does the standard come from? And, and you can take this passage and as uh, is warned, you can wrestle this passage to your own destruction. And what I want us to do tonight is try to uh, just start right back where we did and, and take the, the groundwork that we've laid last week and try to make this passage say what, what John wants it to say to us. We start in verse 4, and remember, we're in the overall context of the book. We just finished chapter 2 talking about Antichrist, false Christ. We're going into chapter 4 talking about false spirits or uh, influences that claim to be the Holy Spirit that are not, and is our world not full of those kinds of things today? 
It most certainly is. And chapter 3 is talking about the difference between a true profession of faith in Christ and a false one. It's the difference between being saved and thinking you're saved. Uh, If we want to make some attachments here, let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, not everyone that saith saith unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're, We're well aware of that. Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount that straight is the gate... And narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. In Luke, he said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Now, striving is a word that is really not understood in modern English as it is. If you really want to see striving, uh, go home and uh, tune in to the highlights of the presidential debate tonight. Uh, they are going to be fighting with each other. Uh, I mean, it is getting desperate and they're saying things that are just so obtuse, over the top, untrue. But what are they doing? They're trying to get that nomination. They want those votes. And uh, be careful as you are prayerfully choosing who you're going to vote for. Again, I stand by my old standard. you got to vote for the best rat in the race. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of them that just are, are rats. And uh, on, on both sides, I'm talking about the Republicans. And uh, uh, I, I don't want to talk about the Democrats, all right? But uh, you've got to vote for the best one. And how do you tell? You just got to listen to what they say and look at what they've done. You know what? That's exactly what this passage is going to tell us. Are the marks of a true Christian versus a fake one? It's not just what they say. It's what have they done? And so we're going to start in verse 4. And it sets up the standard, okay? Uh, I even, in my notes, I, uh, in preparation, I put a chart and I just listed all of the things that the people of the devil do versus all the things that the righteous, the people of the Lord do. And, and uh, we're going to go through that list tonight. But it says, Whoso committeth sin transgresseth also the law. The, the best way I know how to put this, you cannot break any of God's 613 commandments without breaking the first one first. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You cannot sin, you cannot name a sin where you are not breaking God's laws. That's simply what he's saying here. So you need to understand that you compound it. Uh, It's kind of like what we're experiencing at the building department right now. Uh, They put the violation on the building because it hadn't been maintained. And they gave us this great big list of things that we're in the process of trying to do. Well, all of a sudden last week, Brother Mike brings me a paper. He said, Pastor, I think this is important. Yeah, it's important. It was another fine because we haven't finished all the work uh, that they said ought to be finished 
and have actually said cannot possibly be finished in the amount of time that they gave us. Uh, we just enjoy those kinds of things. Uh, and praise the Lord, we found out it's a one-time thing. It's not going to accrue interest and, and, and get any worse, but just another thank you letter. Uh, it just seems that no matter how hard you try, you get yourself deeper in debt. You know what? This is the pattern of sin. You can try to fix it, my friend. But every time you do something wrong, you're not just doing one thing wrong. You're doing two and three and four things wrong. Because see, in order to do this one sin, it automatically clicks off on God's registers of laws, maybe two or three other things that you're not even paying attention to. It's insurmountable. And so we get to the next verse, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Opposite. You can try to deal with your own sin, but all you're going to do is get deeper in. Jesus came. He was born. He lived. He died. He rose again. Why? To take away our sins. And this is the key. In him is no sin. This is the key to understanding the whole passage right here. In Jesus is no sin. So now we're going to, again, keep the contrast going. Whoso abideth in him sinneth not. You know what? If you're living under the influence of Jesus Christ, I've often asked this question. People say, well, Pastor, I just can't stop and fill in the blank. Fill it in with what you struggle with. He said, how hard would it be to, oh, we'll just throw smoking out there. How hard would it be to smoke a cigarette if Jesus was sitting across the table from you? And you had to blow the smoke in his face. That'd be hard to do now, wouldn't it? But the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us and we don't have any problems. If that's the thing you struggle with, we all struggle. But in Jesus, there is no sin. If you're abiding in Jesus, you're not going to sin. Does anybody have a problem with that statement? That's just what the Bible says. That's John chapter 15. Abide in me. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. If we abide in Jesus. And by the way, how many of you have ever had the opportunity to carve open a grapevine? Now, when I was a kid, we lived... Uh, my grandmother actually lived in, in uh, central Pennsylvania... And we would go down in the woods, and I remember Andrew was just a little guy. He said, well, we're going to go on a walk in the woods and see if we can find a grapevine to go swinging on. And uh, we just started down the pathway about 100 yards, and he said, Dad, it's getting dark. We're going to get lost, and we won't find our way out. I said, son, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. 
it's not dark in the woods. It's just the trees block out the sun. Because it was a deep and it was a dark forest and it was a lot of fun. And we found ourselves an old grapevine. It was about all about that big around and went 60, 70 foot up in the tree. And, uh, of course, Dad got on it and jumped on it. And if it held me up, it would hold all the kids up probably at the same time back then. And uh, uh, we cut the grapevine loose at the bottom so that we could make, swing on it. And uh, it was a lot of fun. But you'll have to, you'll notice something. When you get down through that hard outer surface, there's a hole in the middle. You know what that hole does? It takes the water from the roots of the tree 80 feet up in the air to where the leaves and the grapes are. When you abide in there, it says you're tapped into the center of the vine. That's where the nutrition is. That's where the life is. It's, it, it's not just drilling a hole and sticking a branch in there. It's grown that way. Layer upon layer. So that there's a perfect conduit from the center of that vine to the center of the branch. If as a Christian, you are serving Christ His way, you're not committing sin. Can we say amen to that? And so now we're halfway through verse 6. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. And so the question I I might ask as we look at this verse, what comes out when they squeeze you? Do you get that? What's down in the middle? What are you tapped into? I remember we had a young lady, my wife will remember this story years ago, uh, gave probably the most touching testimony on her baptism I've ever heard anybody give. About a month later, and this was many years ago, I I don't know if anybody was even here except uh, maybe, just maybe Miss Rita was was here back then. Uh, This was in the old building. And uh, she said, when I open my heart to praise the Lord, heavy metal music comes out. And she said, you're not taking that away from me. I said, called her name. I said, I don't know what you're tapped into. But I want you to understand that if that is what is in your soul, Jesus isn't there. That's what this verse is saying. There are people who will be the nicest and warmest and best quote-unquote Christians you have ever met until you squeeze them real hard. 
Oh my, you better get out of the way. Whatever they've tapped into, I mean, uh, if you're a comic book fan, I guess they're tapped into their inner Hulk or something like that. Uh, I mean, the rage comes out and, uh, I mean, things start happening that are just totally ungodly. And and, uh, I don't mean to use such a uh, carnal reference, but we're talking about carnal things here. And that's what verse 6 is telling us that, listen, verse 7 defines it, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, the children and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Could I challenge you here, what John is trying to bring out is not specific instances in a person's life, but the difference between the nature of God that is implanted into a Christian at the moment of salvation and a person who has never had that implantation of the nature of God. They've never been born again the Bible way. Here is what John is trying to illustrate is The two natures, the nature of the saved, the nature of the righteous, which comes from God, and the nature of the children of the devil, which have never known God. That's why I say, when we go back to verse 4, is the key, in him, I'm sorry, uh, verse 5, in him is no sin. That's what this is talking about. In the nature of Jesus, in the work of Jesus, in what he does in our life, there is no sin. Are Christians capable of sin? Yes. In fact, it's amazing. One of the men that gave one of the harshest commentaries I was able to find was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He says, do not be deceived. If you are living of the devil, if you are living in sin. But let me ask you a question. How many know how Mr. Spurgeon died? The story of his death. Mr. Spurgeon had an affliction that was very little understood in his day. How many of you have ever had a bout of the gout? There is no painkiller in the history of medicine that deals with the pain of gout. In fact, undiagnosed, it it can and has certain people driven them mad. Mr. Spurgeon had gout. You know what the greatest cure for gout is? Cherry juice. I don't know why. 
but if you have gout, do not eat asparagus. Whatever you do, uh, it will aggravate it. Uh, a, a rich diet, a rich fatty diet is like the most terrible thing you can do for gout. What happens is your body is not cleansing itself properly and those impurities actually crystallize in your flesh. And so imagine a thousand razor blades grabbing the nerves in your feet and there's nothing you can do to stop Mr. Spurgeon actually died of depression because there was no cure for the pain of gout. Now, let me ask you a question. Is depression a sin? Yeah, it really is. And... What I'm trying to tell you is I, I expect to see Mr. Spurgeon on the right side of eternity. This passage is not talking about sinless perfection. It is not talking about living a perfectly sinless life, but it is talking about the nature of God at work in your life versus the nature of the devil at work in the lives of his children. And... That's why it is saying here that you don't sin. Uh, it's his seed remaineth in him. This is the work of God. The Christian cannot sin. And yes, the commentators are basically right when they say a Christian cannot live in sin. If you were addicted to certain substances before you got saved... You can't go back and do that after you're saved. But does that mean you're going to live a perfectly clean life? No, it doesn't. Does that mean you might not die when you have a relapse? No, it doesn't. But do you lose your salvation? Not if you were in the Lord. Because He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Are we still together? This is not an easy passage because you read some of these words and it just seems to say that someone never sins. And under the influence of Jesus Christ and serving Him in His Spirit, you cannot sin. The only problem is we still have that sin nature and it does sin. But let me tell you, the Bible says, let no man deceive you. I've had some young men over the years, they've come to me and said, Pastor, I think God's called me to preach. I've had some other people that have come and said, Pastor, I think God's called me to preach. And I'm very confident in saying, no, he hasn't. Because there's no such thing as lady preachers. And so I'm totally confident that he has not called you to preach. This is something you... You desire it's not in the Scriptures. And, and unfortunately, there have been a few men over the years where I've had to sit down and say, now listen, you need to understand, you've done some things in your life that disqualify you from the ministry. But if you do not have anything in your life that disqualifies you from the ministry, 
it is not. I actually had someone say, is, is God calling me to preach or is the devil trying to trick me? Uh, let me challenge you. The devil will never try to trick you by calling you into the ministry. That, that's not going to happen. He doesn't care how bad a Christian you are. He doesn't want you accidentally doing something good for God. Uh, he's just not going to do it. It's not going to happen. That's what this verse is talking about. When you do something that is righteous, righteousness only comes from God. That's what happens when you get saved. That's why it's called the breastplate of righteousness. It protects your heart, the heart of the Christian warrior. By the way, where do you get the righteousness? Uh, I love the line that uh, either Brother Marshall or Pat put in uh, a little drama that uh, Julia's family did years and years ago. Which says, it's not mine. He lets me borrow it. You see, that's where real righteousness comes from. Amen? It's not mine. And when real righteousness actually happens in my life serving God, guess who's responsible for it? Jesus is. Don't take credit for what God does. Because it didn't come from you. Righteousness is never by accident. It only happens because God does something in our lives. And it can only happen in the life of a saved person. Amen? Does that mean an unsaved person could never do anything good? Well, wait a minute. We're going to get there. But let's just leave that right there. And so, we need to abide in Christ. There is no sin in Christ. When you abide in Him, you're going to do righteousness. That righteousness came from Jesus Christ through you. Jesus' purpose is to destroy the works of the devil. That's why when Jesus is working in our life, it says we do not commit sin because it's the seed, it's the Holy Spirit of God, it's the seed of God living in us. Second uh, Peter chapter 1 hath made us partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I'm sorry, First Peter, that's First Peter. No, Second Peter chapter 4 is right the first time. And uh, so it says that he, in verse 9, he is born of God. In verse 11, that we should love one another. Verse 13, don't be amazed if the world does not like the fact that Jesus Christ is living in you. I don't know how many times someone has looked at me and said, Who do you think you are saying that you know you're saved? I said, Nobody. I said, The Bible says these things, and we'll get to this in a couple of months, I hope. Chapter 5, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may... Who knows the next word? No! That ye have eternal life. And I always turn that back at them and say... These things have I written that you may know 
that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name. You believe in God, but you don't believe He does anything. I don't understand that. I don't want that kind of God. I want a God that does something. Amen? And by the way, God wants a faith that does something. That's what this passage is talking about. You see, the two got to be together. God does do things, and faith does do things in response to God's work in our life. And that is called righteousness. And it only comes from God. On the obverse, those of the devil, they transgress also the law. They're double indemnifying themselves. They have not seen God. They do not know Him. They do not righteousness. They love not their brothers. The illustration is king. And that brings us down uh, to verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Now, this is what I mean when I said, go back to verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. What comes out when they squeeze you? Cain got squeezed, didn't he? God said, "Uh uh-uh. I am not going to accept your sacrifice. If you want a sacrifice, you follow your little brother's uh, 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 example and you go get the blood of the innocent and you offer it on the altar with the life of that animal. A picture of what Jesus Christ himself, God himself would do. He said, if you don't do that, I'm not going to forgive you. He said, if you do well, you're going to rule over your brother. He will look to you. And if you don't, he said, sin lieth at the door. And people have tried to figure out what in the world. I've heard sermons preached that sin lies at the door and it's going to get you. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about another one of Abel's lambs. The sacrifice is at the door. When we sin, if we'll bring the sacrifice, God will deal with our lives as if we were perfectly sinless. Do you know that's the only way you get into heaven? How many of you are familiar with Ephesians chapter 2? Let's, let's go there quickly if we can. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to read with me verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many of you get that verse? That's present tense, isn't it? When Christ looks at us, He looks at us as if we were already on the other side. So then why should I not have confidence that I'm saved? 
Because the confidence isn't in me. It's in God's Word. It's in the words of Christ. It is finished. But if when you get squoes, when the pressure mounts, when things happen, you decide that the only way to deal with the situation is to sin, then you, you better check your nature. Don't be deceived. Just as true righteousness cannot come from anywhere but God, sin does not come from anywhere but the prompting of the devil. He is the father of it. He is the father of all that do these things. This is why Paul said, and I'll just read you the verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, we've got a couple of things to tie in, and then some summary, and I think we'll get it done here tonight. I hope uh, that we can. But it, we're in chapter 3, and... Uh, Now, we're down to the example of Christ. Verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus laid down His life for us. How do I lay down my life for the brethren? How many of you were here a couple weeks ago when when I preached on Luke chapter 14, counting the cost of faith. If a man hate not his father, his mother, his wife, his brethren, his sisters, and his own life also. Do you think that may be what John was talking about when he said here about laying down our lives for the brethren, the example of Christ? Did Jesus want to go to the cross? Absolutely not. The Bible says that he endured the cross what? despising the shame. You know, and sometimes as pastor, I just wonder, it just, I'm glad. I want you to understand it. It's an amazing thing that people come knowing what they're going to get when they get here. Uh, Thursday night, we're going to spend 45, 50 minutes talking about the Word of God. Me talking, you listening. And yet you come back. And uh, I, I count that a, an incredible privilege. But there's only one reason why I have confidence to do that. It's because the Bible says so. It says that's what we're supposed to do when we have church. It's supposed to be about the preaching of this book right here. And the Bible says it's the foolishness of preaching. So I'm well qualified. And so is every other pastor. Because we're human beings. But when something good happens, we know that God is the one that does the work. And you see, it says, verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother, there's the key, have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 
And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. Now get ready for this. This is deep. This is the key. That we should, what's that word? What did they ask Jesus in John chapter 6? When they Jesus asked Jesus, what should we do to do the works of God? What was the answer? Believe on Him whom God has sent. Do you know that the whole Christian life is about believing on Jesus? That's how you get saved. This is why I constantly say, what you did to get saved is what you do to live for Him. You know, living the Christian life is not normal. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen just because you're a nice person. If you're going to do it, it's got to be on purpose surrender of your will to that of Jesus Christ. He then takes that surrender and does something with it. By the way, that is an incredible definition, working definition of a word that we're dealing with a lot around here this year. Faith. Isn't that how faith works? You see, everything about this passage... My heart doesn't condemn me. I believe, fill in the blank, is quite all right with me and God. That's not what this passage is talking about. It's talking about your heart having confidence in your obedience to the words, the direct revelation of God. That's where the confidence comes from. It's not how you feel about things. God knows how we feel about things. It says we love darkness rather than light. That's how we feel about things. It says that we don't even know how to pray for as we ought to, but this confidence gives us answered prayers. Therefore, it's not your feelings, my friend. It's getting in line with the Holy Spirit of God to the point that good things happen. I don't know if I showed you the logo, but a church in liberal Kansas. Uh, they've come up with a theme this year, liberal love. See the need, do the deed. That's Brother Prater's church. And that that uh, logo came with a $6,200 check for the Union Baptist Church Building Fund. I think they saw the need, and they certainly did the deed. Amen? And, and by the way, that wasn't even included in the uh, 107000 that was raised at Heartland. That was on top of that. He said, I'm sorry, I couldn't be there, Brother Montoro, but give me the link. I'll show that video, and we're going to raise some money for you. And first thing I told Andrew, I showed him a picture. I said, I don't think we could get away with a logo like that in New York City. Liberal love. 
I think it would be misinterpreted greatly. But in liberal Kansas, I think people understand what he's trying to say. But here's the thing. You see, if we want confidence, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John chapter 17. And hereby we know that we are of the truth when we obey His commandments. When we're doing what the Bible says. You know, those things are very simple. Number one, you get saved. What's next? Anybody want to take a guess? There we go. Baptism! Amen. This is a Baptist church. You don't have to be afraid of that word. Uh, Bible baptism. Can we say that? Biblical baptism. And if it's not biblical, then it's not baptism. It, It needs to be done the way the Bible says. That gives us confidence. What does baptism do? It brings you into the fellowship of a local church. You know what? There might be some people in that church that just aren't quite as perfect as you are. And there might be some rubs of fellowship. And you know what? If we have the Holy Spirit of God working in us, He's going to put us together. You know what that might mean? That might mean just going, Yes, Pastor, I'll do it your way instead of my way. Because there's a leader in God's organization of things. And what we're trying to do is to serve God this way. And if that's not happening, well, wait a minute, let's go back. And if that is happening, then we have confidence... And that Word of God is going to constrain my heart and my life. Do you think I'll have an easier time living a righteous life when God's Word is constraining my thoughts and my deeds and my prayers and my desires? That's what he's talking about here. Surrender is the hardest thing in the world. Because it's not about me anymore. Well, listen. Jesus laid down his life. He died on the cross because it was about us. Is it so hard to lay down your life and make it about him? Maybe that's the way we can tell that the Holy Spirit of God is doing the work. Because here's our summary, and we're all done here. It says, And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him, and hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. There's no sinless perfection, but when it seems to be talking about that in this passage, what it's talking about is true service 
for God under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit. And just the opposite of that is true. You cannot do anything that counts for God that is righteous under the direction of the devil. Now, we live in a world where they want to take those two things and mix them together. And you can't do that. They do not. They're diametrically opposed to each other. Now, I know all the things. I've even thought about doing this sometime. How many of you believe you cannot put a round peg in a square hole or vice versa? I I am telling you that can be done. There there are several different ways. One is you modify the peg. Uh, Another way is you just get a bigger hammer. It does change things. Uh, I mean, you can break the board. Uh, You can put that peg in the hole if you want. People say, you can't mix oil and water. Oh, most certainly can. How many of you drink homogenized milk? Uh, you got cream mixed with water in the milk right there. I mean, don't tell me you can't mix it. You, you can, but you cannot. You cannot serve God if you're not abiding in Him. You cannot do righteousness. You can do what appears good. Let me tell you, there are great imitators on both sides of this thing. The devil has great imitators. He himself is as an angel of light. And do you know what? We have a lot of people that imitate the Christian life. But it's not of God. And God's not doing it. And it won't bring good things to happen. How many of you have ever been tempted? Well, I just want to tell a little bit, a little lie so I don't hurt someone's feelings. Well, since when does the Bible say that you have to be mean and hurt someone's feelings in the first place? But they asked me if they were fat. How in the world are you supposed to answer that? I mean, there are just some questions that are better left unanswered. Amen? You know, do you like my new hairdo? If you say yes, well, then you didn't like it the way it was before. I'm hurt. If you say no, then, oh, no, it's terrible. Life is over. I mean, you can't win with certain questions people ask. So stop trying to help their feelings. And change the subject to something that you can deal with, like the goodness of God. Amen? You see, there are so many other passages that teach us that you can imitate the righteousness of God and still end up in hell. Just because you're doing things good doesn't mean... That it's of God. It tells us that righteous people can do wrong things and make wrong decisions, terrible decisions. Neither of those issues is being addressed in this passage. What's being addressed in this passage is the nature 
that is in the true Christian versus the nature that is in the false Christian. And the true Christian cannot commit sin serving God under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There is no unrighteousness in Jesus Christ. There cannot be evil in obedience to this book called the Bible. You cannot sin obeying the Bible. And if someone's putting you in a position where you, have, where you are breaking known commandments of God in attempt to be obedient what's in the Bible, you know one thing for certain immediately. That's the work of the devil. Because the devil always leads you to unrighteousness. Is, is that clear enough? What happens when you get schools? What comes out? Is it more surrender of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and to others? That's the example of the Lord. Or is it hatred and murder? And by the way, you don't have to physically commit murder in God's eyes to be guilty of it. Jesus said, little bit of hate's plenty good. Listen. It's surrender to God and His Word. You cannot sin doing what this book says. That's faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And if you don't have faith, and if you don't have righteousness, if you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, you cannot do right no matter how hard you try. No matter what an imitation you produce, it's not right. And by the way, it's not helpful. By the way, it's not of God. That's what this passage is talking about. You can't mix them. There is no common ground. And that's the difference between the fake Christian, the false Christian, and the true Christian. Is the false Christian believes there's common ground. You just listen to Joel Osteen sometime. You'd think if the devil would show up, he'd sit down there and talk to him about becoming a member of the church. You know, realize your inner champion. It's there somewhere. No, it's not. You don't have an inner champion. You have a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The only force in the universe that can curb the human heart is the Holy Spirit of God. All God's people said Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We ask you to, to work in our hearts and help us to abide in you. Lord, how we struggle to live for you in this wicked world. How we are tempted and pushed and blown out of the way. Yet, Lord, the promises of Jesus are sure. His work is true. And in Him is no darkness. In Him is no sin. In Him is no unrighteousness. 
Lord, help us to live, to abide in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.